This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question. I want to read you an inspirational quote. You ready? Okay. Quote, mm-hmm. I can see for miles. End quote. Do you know who said that? Um, a homecoming cre- uh, a homecoming queen of the parade. No. Miles is seeing eye dog. Welcome back to the Rotten Righteous Podcast. A podcast that, if it were a gladiator, it'd be the one who wet his pants and immediately had his face smashed in with a morning star. With me, as always, a vision. He will give the people a vision and they will love him for it. They will soon forget the tedious sermonizing of a few dry old men. He will give them the greatest vision of their lives. Luke Taylor. Luke. Enough of politics. Let us pretend that he is a loving daughter and I am a good father. Scott Judge. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> let's just let's just pretend. And me, well, I shall be closer to you for the next few days, which will be the last of your miserable lives, than your mother, who brought you screaming into this world. I did not pay good money for you, uh, for your company. I paid it so that I could profit from your death. And as your mother was there at the beginning, so I shall be there at your end. I'm Zach Geiler. This week... <laughs> how, mor- how morbid. <laughs> Can't wait for Zach to be on my deathbed. Really? Th- you want Zach at your deathbed? Yeah. Would he born or cheer you on? You know what? I was, <laughs> I, I was watching uh, Avengers Endgame. Speaking of deathbeds. I was watching Avenger Endgame, spoiler alert. Uh, by the way, if you haven't realized, this entire show is a spoiler alert for everything that we talk about. <laughs> but uh, but I was watching uh, Avengers Endgame and, that, and the scene where, where Tony Stark dies and Spider-Man's like crying over him. And then Pepper Potts comes up behind and has to like pull Spider-Man off of Tony so she can spend the last few minutes with her dying husband. When you said on my deathbed, I had that same exact thought run through my head, except Spider-Man was Megan and I was Pepper Potts. Like she was crying over you because you were dying. And I'm like, okay, enough of that. I need to be with him. So he takes his last breaths. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like... That all sounds Avengers in game, but all <laughs> it sounds that, ridiculous. That sounds way too realistic, actually. <laughs> oh, all right, Megan, that's enough. Well, this week we watched the only movie, in my opinion, that can even challenge Braveheart for the best movie ever made, and of course, I am talking about 2000's Gladiator. Our movie begins with the following on-screen text. At the height of its power, the Roman Empire was vast, stretching from the deserts of Africa to the borders of northern England. Over one quarter of the world's population lived and died under the rule of the Caesars. In the winter of 180 AD, 
Emperor Marcus Aurelius's 12-year campaign against the barbarian tribes in Germania was drawing to an end. One final stronghold stands in the way of Roman victory and the promise of peace throughout the empire. Now, you may be asking, what in the world does this have to do with faith-based movies? Christians in Rome were thrown into these gladiatorial games, so we get a picture of the brutality of what our ancestors had to face by watching this movie. Really, I just wanted to watch this movie because it's really, really good, but at least I can find a way to justify it. On the cusp of battle with the barbarians, Roman general Maximus allows himself a moment to daydream. He imagines that he's walking to his home in a happy reunion with his wife and son. We see him walk through a field of wheat, and his hand lightly brushing the tops of those wheat stalks. It's a simple scene that I honestly believe any man who has seen Gladiator and walked through any type of high grass in the last 21 years has reenacted. As a matter of fact, I know when I go hunting and I walk through a field and there's still high grass in it, I cannot walk through it without holding my hand out and pretending I'm Maximus walking home. This is a universal feeling. Scott, have you ever done this? Scott's, this is the first time Scott, Scott has not seen this movie before. This is Scott's first viewing. Is it really? Yep. Oh, yep. wow. First time I've ever seen this, and it made me really mad. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, Scott texted me. Scott texted me last week and said, "What kind of incestuous movie you have me watching?" And I That's said, "True." I said, "I have no idea what movie you were watching, but uh, I'm telling you what the uh, oh, what's his name, Joaquin Phoenix." That man creeps me out more and more in every single movie I see him in. I mean, I watched him in uh, the, the when he portrayed Johnny Cash, and it was like, man, what is wrong with this? And then I saw him in this movie, and I'm like, this ain't right. This man's got problems. Have you seen some pictures of him as Johnny Cash next to Johnny Cash? He was pretty good. Oh, he, it was uncanny. You know, he sang in that movie, too. That wasn't Johnny oh, Cash's voice. And he, he practiced to get his... Uh, to get his uh, uh, voice that low as Johnny Cash. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't the song that he and uh, Reese Witherspoon sang, uh, Jackson, didn't that turn into a hit? I don't know, but uh, that has been our review of uh, Walk the Line. Now let's get back to the Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to be off task a little more than usual tonight. <laughs> Maximus is snapped back to reality when he realizes that the Germanic barbarian army is ahead of Rome. I mean, the German barbarian army has a Roman's head. Uh, specifically, the head of a scout that Maximus sent out to try to get uh, Germania's surrender. But instead, the barbarians removed the Roman's head and tossed it in the mud before Maximus and the rest of the Romans because they want to fight. What, Max, Maximus is an idiot. I mean, what kind of information is he expecting for his scout to bring back without a head? <laughs> Scott, he had a you head. Can't, you can't see nothing. You can't hear nothing. Now you can't talk. He, he had a head. Not when I saw him. Yeah, well, that was after the Germans removed it. I imagine the uh, Germans is like, I just stuck the Zach's head on all of them. And they're like the raging barbarians. I just imagine him and his beard. 
fat, fat, out of shape, just. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be too winded after picking up that head to go, (laughs) or whatever it is that he says. (laughs) I mean, that's. Oh, whatever. Just give him what he wants. I'm done. I need to go sit down. Oh. Cramp! Cramp! <laughs> time out, time out, time out. Maximus gets on his horse and says, On my signal, unleash hell to the other people in his army. And I don't know about you guys, but like uh, every time he talks, he says some really awesome one liners throughout this entire movie. I mean, I just get pumped up watching this movie. I do. I want to go out and and fight. I want to be a Roman watching this. So with that order, Maximus runs off, and the general nods, or, or and another general nods to his archers, who sends a volley of flaming arrows screaming through the air, Roman catapults containing flaming jars of oil. And even more arrows assault the barbarian army as Maximus and his infantry flank the enemies of Rome. And when the infantry and the barbarians meet, swords immediately start flying. Maximus, still on the back of his horse, charges at a barbarian, just lops off that dude's head. Plants that sword right in the tree. So Maximus lops off this German dude's head, and then Maximus's horse is tripped by a Germanic lance. And a German soldier starts an assault against Maximus with his axe, but Maximus is awesome. So he just dodges a few times and then just cuts the barbarian's legs out from under him. Blood is flying, both Roman and barbarians are swinging at each other as the scene collapses into the chaos of battle. Finally, the first fight is over. Maximus stands victorious in the midst of dozens of dead and dying soldiers, both Roman and Germanic. The general raises his sword in the air and shouts, Roma Victa, as he and his surviving men celebrate. On a nearby hill, Caesar Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius sees that his men have won and let out a sigh of relief. Scott, do you know why I referred to Marcus Aurelius as Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius? I really don't. The actor that plays Marcus Aurelius is Richard Harris, who was the original Dumbledore before he died after the second movie, and the better of the two Dumbledores, I must say. So what movie was that in? Chamber of Secrets was his last one. Prisoner of Azkaban, there was an actor that stepped in for him. Would you agree with that, Luke, or is this going to turn into a Tom Holland type debate where uh, you you feel yeah, the I like s- them both. I mean, I didn't hate the second Dumbledore. He still held the movies together, but Dumbledore to me, when I read the books, he's very soft spoken. He's like, as you could see, Harry, you've entered into the Chamber of Secrets. While the second Dumbledore's like, Harry, you went into the Chamber of Secrets, and I'm like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that meme where the book says uh, uh, Dumbledore spoke softly to Harry? It's, it's, I think it's in the Goblet of Fire, yes. and then the movie scene has him like screaming at him. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, the book says Dumbledore's like Harry. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? But in the movie, the guy's like, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Calm down, bro. Calm down. Meanwhile. Stoy- 
A heavily armored and guarded carriage is bringing Caesar's grown children to the newly acquired German territory. Inside, Caesar's son, crybaby Commodus, a whiny toddler doing an adult impression, is convinced that his dad is dying, and that's why he and his sister were summoned. Commodus believes with all his heart that his father is about to abdicate the throne and name him the next Caesar of Rome. His sister, Lucilla, a very pretty woman except when she decides to give herself a decorative unibrow for some reason, is pretty tired of her brother's stupid face and just wants a bath. Back on the battlefield, Caesar Dumbledore is congratulating Maximus on another victory. The Emperor asks his best general what he can do for him. And Maximus says that all he wants to do is go home and dramatically touch his hay. That night, there is a party at the war camp, and everyone who is anyone in Rome is there. I'm talking Commodus, Maximus, Lucilla, Caesar Dumbledore, the Roman senators Gaius and Falco, everyone. But Dumbledore pulls Maximus away for a word. Then, in the privacy of his chambers, asks Maximus to become the new emperor instead of his son Commodus. At first, Maximus is like, nah, bro. I want to go back and just live my simple life in Trulio, Spain. Now, this makes Caesar Dumbledore implore Maximus to become senator even more. Because Marcus Dumbledore wants to restore Rome to a democratic republic. And he knows that his son Commodus is just the worst. And Maximus... <laughs> And Maximus is uncorrupted by politics, which makes the general perfect for the job. You know what bugs me about this movie? This is like the only part that I can point to and say this is kind of dumb. There's two conversations that that take place where, where Marcus Aurelius is giving the, the Caesarship to Maximus and not Commodus. If just one other person was allowed in the room for either one of those conversations, just one, mm -hmm. there wouldn't have been a movie. Which is probably why there wasn't. That's a good point. Because <laughs> we'd have had a new Caesar. Yeah, but if you were Emperor of Rome and you were like having a secret conversation and you didn't know what the guy was going to say and you knew he would, didn't want to become Emperor... You know, would you just write invite a random dude in? No, but I'd probably write it in a letter or something. Give it to one of the senators. Be like, hey, listen here, uh, uh, Senator Gaius. Uh, if anything happens to me, open this letter. Apparently he underestimated good old Commodo. Hmm. Outside the party, Lucilla and Maximus catch up. Apparently they had some quote-unquote relations in the past. But Maximus is pretty distant, and he just goes back to his tent to think. Emperor Dumbledore and Commodus are talking with one another in private, because if anyone heard this conversation, or the last conversation, then we wouldn't have had a movie. And Caesar tells his son that Maximus, not him, will be taking the throne. Now, to be fair, Commodus takes this news pretty well, because he just gives his dad a big old bear hug, which smothers in him and kills him. <laughs> That, that whole scene was so intense. I know, and Scott. Just that's because they were on the battlefield. They couldn't build a building there. It had to be intense. 
it was just incredibly intense, and I just was not expecting uh, the bear hug at the end, and now Caesar is dead. Well, I gotta say, there's a line in that scene that, uh, as a father, I, I can't imagine saying uh, anything so, I guess, humble and at the same time so incredibly insulting to my son than what he yeah. says to Caesar, where he's like, son, your failures as a man are my failures as a father. I'm like, dang, Marcus! <laughs> <laughs> so uh Caesar's dead and no one but Maximus and Commodus are knowledgeable about Dumbledore's plan so Commodus acts quickly the prince calls Maximus to his father's deathbed and offers Maximus the opportunity to accept him as the new Caesar but Maximus is like nah bro I know you killed your daddy and he turns his back and walks away Meanwhile, Lucilla, who has the spine of an octopus, is also there. And even though she knows that her brother has something to do with her father's death, she's just willing to accept Commodus as Caesar. Back in Maximus's tent, the general and his servant, Cicero, are quickly arming themselves and planning on waking up the senators and settling this whole Commodus thing before uh, that whiny little baby king can put the first leaf of a wreath on his stupid head. And that is when Quintus, who is second in command after Maximus, comes into the general's tent. Turns out, Caesar Commodus' stinky dookie head ordered Maximus' execution to protect his father's dying wishes from being fulfilled. All Maximus asks of his old friend Quintus is to make sure his family's cared for, and Quintus is like, no, I'm not going to be able to do that, but it's cool, though. Your family's going to be waiting for you in the afterlife. Man, these guys are cold. They're cold! Mm -hmm. Well, they don't really have any choice, you know? They're like, Maximus is the only one with, with the backbone. That's why he's the hero. The other guys, like, they're not they're not loyal to Commodus, but, you know. They're not going to ruffle any feathers. They're they don't just... have any choice, or they're dead, too. I mean, if you went into the wilderness to see Quintus... You would be going into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind. That's true. Bible reference. That was a nice reference. Boom! Look at it. So Maximus is being escorted by several guards deep into the wilderness. Finally, the executioner tells the former general to kneel. But just before Maximus is about to be beheaded... He requests a clean death, a soldier's death. Which means that instead of being beheaded, a sword is thrust down into the nape of the neck, severing the brain stem. And that way his body's whole for burial. That's a soldier's execution for you. But as the executioner raises the blade, Maximus, who did not skip leg day, shoots up. Slamming the back of his head into the executioner's nose, successfully disarming him. And then he grabs the blade with his bare hands and just stabs some guy, the would-be killer, right in the chest. He doesn't care that his hands are getting cut up all up. He's Maximus. Don't you worry about it. 
And then another guard's trying to get another short to try to fight against Maximus because his hands are still tied, but he can't get his blade out of the scabbard because, according to that Maximus, because he's awesome, he says, the frost, sometimes it makes the blade stick. And then he just gouges the guard's face open with a vicious slice. And then another guard tries to get his horse away, but Maximus is like, nah-uh, sir. He flips that sword around and throws it through the air and hits the target right where he was aiming. Boom, into that life. One guard remains, who has his back to the action and is unaware of what is going on. Maximus calls him out. Praetorid! The Praetorian turns to see Maximus standing there with the sword. He tosses down the bottle and runs at our hero. They both swing their sword as the Praetorian on his horse passes. The horse takes like three steps and then the Praetorian falls, dead. Fatally wounded by Maximus. But the last swing came at a price. Maximus has been severely wounded in his arm. But he doesn't have Bad time to wound. worry about that. Having killed each of his Roman captors, Maximus just takes two of their horses and begins his long journey home to try to save his family. And you think about it, they're in where Germany is now. He has to ride to Spain. I never put two and two together of how long this journey would actually be. And he rides both of those horses to death. Mm -hmm. His directional skills are incredible. He's Maximus. He's not called Minimus, no. is he? No, he's Maximus. <laughs> <laughs> so he is riding horses to their grave on his long journey home. And we see this beautiful picture of Maximus's son playing with a pony as his wife looks on. In the distance, they see a caravan bearing a Roman standard. Thinking it's his daddy coming home from years of battle, the little boy runs to meet the Romans, only to just be brutally trampled under the hooves of the Roman horses. <laughs> he got not held. He did by those yeah. horses. It was sad, man. So excited really, about Really? I thought this was the most comedic moment of the whole movie. You're telling me it's sad? <laughs> you would. You would. No, I wouldn't. I hate watching these uh, things now that I have a kid. It hurts me. It hurts yeah. me even more. <laughs> Maximus is still trying to get there. He doesn't know he's too late. But when he reaches his home, he's greeted with a horrible sight. His crops were burnt. His servants were slaughtered. And then, at the entry of his house, he sees the charred and crucified remains of his wife and son. After using his wife's feet as a tissue, he buries his family. I'm just saying Russell Crowe really got into it. There was there was a long string of snot coming from his nostril to that prosthetic leg. Scott, they didn't really kill people. It's a movie. You don't have to be that sad. <laughs> trying to figure out how to respond to your long string of snot. Can you imagine what it would do to the mind of a man to, to witness that? I mean, all the other things that he's witnessed anyway in, in war, but then come home and see that. It's probably what made him a great gladiator. I mean, I'm sure it killed him without physically killing him. Yeah, he died that day. That was very poetic. And then also on another day, he died. So he buries his family. 
And then the grief, blood loss, and infection from his cut arm is just too much, and Maximus passes out. A passing caravan of Bedouin slavers comes across Maximus's body, and after seeing, he is still alive. Like someone who saw a, a, a sinner when they were rolling their gospel chariot along, they stopped and scooped him up. Isn't it kind of weird that they just like walk on? I mean, his property is obviously destroyed. They just walk on. They're like, ah, here's a guy. We'll take him. Well, I, I'm. I bet they heard about the about the the attack on the household. You know, I bet the nearest towns all a Twitter about uh, about what happened. Hey, did you hear what happened they out said, at the Let's old? Go over uh, there and see what we can find. Well, I think they were just passing through, and then they come across a dude that's passed out. <laughs> I mean. It's like walking down the street and finding a gold nugget. You're not going to just let it pass. If you sell it, pick it up. So, Maximus is on the back of this slaver's wagon, slipping in and out of consciousness, and in and out of the real world in the afterlife. Then something snaps him awake, and he sees a Numidian slave named Juba looking down at him. Juba comforts Maximus by telling him that he's going to see his family again, but not yet. Former general just reaches over and touches his armed wound, which is currently being infested by maggots, uh, infested with maggots. But Juba tells him not to brush them off because they will clean the wound. You're so, right. according to the National Health Service of the UK, larvae therapy involves applying maggots to a wound to help mm. it heal maggots can be used to treat dirty and infected wounds as they remove dead tissue and bacteria leaving behind healthy tissue that can heal the maggots used in the treatment are specifically bred and are sterile as not to cause infection well, that's good i was hoping mm. they weren't using unsterile maggots at well the, at that, they were probably at just that, using whatever maggots they had at the bottom of the bottom of that article does it also say and if you want to do some bloodletting on the patient doesn't hurt nothing <laughs> now this hey. is science yeah maggots maggots is legit bloodletting not so much then maximus passes out again because he has maggots on his arm what else is he gonna do and the next time he comes to juba's doing the logical thing i mean he's chewing the maggots and just shoving them right into his arm wound Ugh, that was gross it was gross it was real gross And it, it's just, it was just gross. It's just medicine, man. No, it's not. It did. Does that what that say? Juba. You need a large. You need a large. This <laughs> 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 is after the maggots cleaned the wound. Then we bring in our special Numidian slave to chew up the maggots and place them onto your wound. <laughs> after he after he chews up and spits out the maggots, he warns Maximus, saying, "Don't die. They'll feed you to the lions, and the lions are worth more than we are." And then he points to the wound that is now filled with masticated maggots and says, "Better now, clean see." To which I would respond, "That's what I would have done." If I was in Maximus's shoes, but he is much stronger and tougher than I am. I can tell you right now, Zach, if you had a pretty bad wound, I, I would dump maggots on you. <laughs> I might even not on the wound. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. 
I mean, I'd want you to get infected. I just dump them everywhere else. Fair- Too legit. Too legit to maggot. <laughs> 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 you're you're fired. <laughs> Go away. Me and Luke will finish this. <laughs> the caravan makes its way to the Roman province of Zucabar, uh, Roman territory on the northern border of Africa, which is now Algeria. The head slave trader approaches a man who runs gladiator games in Zucabar named Proximo. Proximo doesn't want anything to do with the shifty trader because the last time the trader was in town, he sold Proximo some bad drafts. He He says, and I quote, The drafts you sold me won't mate. They just walk around eating, not mating. You sold me queer giraffes. Which may be the greatest line in any movie we have watched so far. So what is the web in detail about queer giraffes, Luke? But the slave trader offers Proximo a special offer on slaves who can fight and die in Proximo's games. The next day, Proximo is preparing his new purchases for their fight in the arena. He announces, I'm Proximo. I shall be closer to you for the next few days which will be the last of your miserable lives, than your mother that brought you screaming into this world. I did not pay good money for your company. I paid it so that I could profit from your death. And as your mother was there at your beginning, so I shall be there at your end. And when you die, and die you shall, your transition shall be to the sound of... Gladiators. I salute you. Which is pretty cool. Like, if somebody, if I was, if I was in that situation and that dude came up and said the stat speech to me, I'd be okay with it. I'd be like, well, I don't really want to die, but. Cool speech, bro. He makes a good point. He made it sound better than I thought. Yeah. I was like, you know, Proximo's twin brother was a lot nicer. Who's that? Domino. He invented sugar. I would have thought pizza. Yeah, I thought you were going with pizza. So after that, the slaves are assessed according to their ability. Juba's up first, and he fights real good, so he has the right to be a red, or the best fighter. While Maximus, who refused to fight, is given the color yellow. And is also given the nickname after where the slavers found him, and Maximus becomes known as the Spaniard. That night, Juba convinces the former general to fight. He's like, you gotta fight, bro. And Maximus is like, because he's not talking yet. He'll talk soon, just not yet. The, er, the next day, Proximo gives his fighters a pep talk before they enter the arena. He picks up a sword and says, Some of you are thinking that you won't fight. Some that you can't. They all say that until they're out there. Thrust this sword into another man's flesh, and they will applaud and love you for that. You may begin to love them for that. Ultimately, we're all dead men. Sadly, we cannot choose how, but we can decide how we meet that end in order that we are remembered as men. 
I like that. Here, here. I'd be like, all right, you know, guys, I was kind of scared about going out here and facing these uh, these giant fighters in armor and stuff, and I'm just in a bed sheet that someone cut a hole in and, and put a little spot of paint on my chest. But, uh, uh, you know, after that, let's rock. Let's do it. He's the head football coach getting the team ready for the big game. And then the slaves, because life isn't uh, difficult enough for them, are then chained together, and reds are chained to yellow. Then they are lined up in front, or they're lined up behind a gate that leads into this small little arena. Maximus is paired with Juba, and they are third in line. In front of them is another slave, Hagen, who earlier helped Proximo assess the slaves, and Hagen is paired with a scared man who pees himself in anticipation of the gates opening. <laughs> to say the least, we don't need to learn this man's name. Uh, in front, <laughs> in front of them is Poor Maximus. He, he's he's like, that's got to be pee coming on my foot. No, one he, step forward. He takes a step back from it. He's like, yeah, I'm not getting that on my on my sandal. Gross. <laughs> And in front of old pee pants uh, is another pair of slaves. One that just has really awesome, like, spiky freedom spikes going on on his head. Outside the gate, you can just see the shadow going across our, our hero and his slave friends. Because outside the gate, in the small arena, are heavily armored fighters waiting for the fresh victims to be released. And one fighter is standing directly in front of the gate with a morning star, uh, spiked metal ball on the end of a chain. He's just spinning it above his head, waiting for the fun to begin. And the door to the arena is thrown open, and the first fighter, our old spiky head, just runs face first into the Morning Star, which just demolishes his head. And blood spatters everywhere. <laughs> you know, natural selection. I mean, you're going gonna... <laughs> to run straight out, not even... I mean, no caution. Well, I don't, I don't understand is why none of them tried to run back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been the obvious choice. Uh, <laughs> the fighters spread out as they all run into the arena. Juba starts to follow one of the... Uh, opponents around, but Maximus quickly pulls them back with his with their chain that's connecting them, and he takes control of the fight. Meanwhile, Hagen is with the frightened pea slave, who just lays down in the middle of the arena, and just starts screaming, while Hagen's fighting around him. He's just absolutely useless. No, it's not. It's not the same guy, right? Because the guy who pees his pants gets whacked with the morning star. No, the guy that gets whacked with the morning star is Spiky Head. P-Pants oh. is attached to Hagen. Oh, that's unfortunate. But it doesn't matter because old P-Pants just gets stuck like a shish kebab with a sword of a, another pat. It's not even a... I don't even want to say that he swung his sword because he didn't. He just kind of was like, boop, and then boom, he's dead because he's not doing anything. And then Hagen, without missing a beat and being held back by literal dead weight... <laughs> Just lifts the dead guy's arm up and just whoosh, right it off. Just knocked it off right at the elbow, and then he starts spinning the whole cuff around his head, making his own makeshift morning star. It's the morning hand. As the fight continued, Hag is just showing that he's awesome as he lifts another one of the the fighters up and just just shoves them into one of the sharp horns that adorn the arena, like he's hanging a picture on the wall. He just just 
right there. You just stay right there. Uh, Maximus is holding a shield, and his shackle pal Juba is holding a sword. They're working together, and then this final fighter gets in front of them. It's this scary guy with a trident, and uh, Maximus manages to deflect the trident with his shield, and he and Juba just grab it and just run this dude right back into the wall and just skewer him right in the abdomen with the shaft of that trident. But that's not enough to fell this trident feller uh, because he just pulls the trident out of his gut and goes on the offensive. Juba and Maximus are done with this fight and they just run at him and clothesline him, just slicing through his throat and knocking him to the ground. Maximus, Juba, Hagen, and the remaining unnamed slaves are exhausted but victorious. And the crowd goes wild. Back in Rome, Crybaby Commodus enters into the capital like a conquering hero. Although the only thing he has conquered was making himself King Creep of Weirdo Mountain. The new emperor goes to a senate meeting where he makes it very clear that he doesn't respect the senate. How does he do this? By spinning his sword on the ground like it's a top. The meeting escalates until Commodus ends up threatening Senator Gaius, and that's when Lucilla steps in and promises to act as a go-between between the Senate and Commodus. Back in his room, Commodus is throwing one of his patented hissy fits as he vows to dismantle the Roman Senate as he envisions an empire where he is the sole ruler. His first step to do this is ordering 150 straight days of gladiatorial games. Not only will this entertain the masses and distract them from his plan to strip the people of any governmental representation, it will also strike fear in their hearts. After all, as the games go on longer and longer, more and more bodies will be needed to fight in the great arena, also known as the Colosseum. Back in Zakabar, the slaves are chilling in a cage, waiting for their turn to fight. From in the distance... The crowd is crying out that they want to see the Spaniard. The Spaniard himself, Maximus, walks into the arena and slightly tips his head at his newly acquired adoring fans as he walks before his current opponents. Several fighters surround the former general and attack one at a time, and all are quickly and robotically dispatched picking up a second sword as he approaches the final fighter and then just beheads him with a brutal scissor cut. Bloody swords in hand, Maximus looks at the spectators. In a fit of rage, he hurls a sword into one of the boxes of the wealthier patrons and shouts the famous line, ARE YOU NOT ENTERTAINED? ARE YOU NOT ENTERTAINED? IS THIS NOT WHY YOU'RE HERE? Always wanted to do that. <laughs> The silence that permeates the arena is eerie as Maximus tosses down his second sword and spits in disgust. As he turns and walks out, the arena erupts into the loudest roar yet, and they again chant, Spaniard, Spaniard, Spaniard. Scott, are you not entertained at this point? I was entertained. Me too. And I think Spaniard is such a cool name. Maximus is called into Proximo's room, where his owner is laying down the facts of being a gladiator. Proximo tells Maximus that if he would just focus on having a little more showmanship, like, yeah, kill people, but kill them with some style, he might be able to earn his freedom. After all, that's how Proximo did it. He used to be the best gladiator in the world, and then was pardoned by the late Caesar Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius himself. 
After hearing this, Maximus kind of perks up, because he too wants to stand in front of the Emperor. Although his freedom is the last thing he wants from Commodus. Soon after, Maximus and his merry band of gladiators make it to the Colosseum in Rome, where they stare in awe of the engineering wonder before them. Uh, the next day, Maximus and his friends are going to fight their first match. They're going to fight their first big match inside the big Colosseum, Dad. You going to come see me for my first big Colosseum match? The next day, uh, they go in to fight their first match, and they're participating as the announcer uh, announces uh, that they're going to do a reenactment of the Battle of Carthage. And this is nothing like a Civil War reenactment. Well, it would be like a Civil War reenactment where they shot at each other with real bullets. Um, <laughs> which might actually make those more popular. You think? <laughs> well, you know, during the Civil War, rich people would take picnics out to where they knew the battlefields were. Oh, yeah. Be, and they would just have a lovely picnic watching people <laughs> shoot each other. So the gladiators from Zanzibar are going to be... Uh, they're, they're basically tapped in to play uh, Hannibal's Barbarian Horde. But they're also given the instruction that when they enter into the arena, they need to face Caesar, raise their weapons, and say, We who are about to die salute you. Which is what I make every single resident of every single nursing home I walk into do whenever I leave. <laughs> so they all go out there, these the gladiators uh, from Zakabar, and they all raise their weapons, except one gladiator refuses to speak. Maximus, who's like decked out in his awesome helmet that covers half his face, so you can't see who he is, he, it's his, just little acts of defiance that he does towards the Emperor. Just little ones that no one's going to notice, but he's not saluting Commodus, you kidding me? This is Maximus we're talking about. So Maximus and his fellow slaves make up this makeshift barbarian horde, and the Romans are being portrayed by several armored chariots equipped with archers. Knowing that the game is rigged brings out the general in Maximus, and he shouts commands to his fellow slaves, and his orders keep the gladiators from being immediately mowed down by the chariots. And against all odds, the Spaniards' knowledge of war allows the small, quote-unquote, barbarian horde to defeat the Romans. Commodus, who was watching the fight in the stands and making facial expressions that were just... Just real odd. Go on your phone and just look at your emo or your emojis, like the little yellow smiley face ones. Mm -hmm. he, he pretty much made every one of those faces during the fight. But he was impressed with the, the Spaniard, and he decides that he wants to meet him. Armed guards enter the Colosseum, followed by Commodus and Commodus's nephew, Lucius. Who, incidentally, is Maximus's biggest fan. Maximus, when he hears Commodus is coming down, kneels to the ground, not out of respect, but because he sees a broken arrow in the dirt that he thinks would look real good, penetrating <laughs> Commodus' Commodus's internal organs. But when Commodus comes towards the Spaniard, he doesn't know who it is, he's just nonchalantly using his nephew as a human shield. Just... Standing directly, did you notice that? He's standing directly behind any good... his like 10 year old nephew. Just is any good Caesar would. Commodus asks the Spaniard to take off his helmet and state his real name. And again, because Maximus is just awesome, 
He just goes, my name is Gladiator. And he turns to walk away. But Commodus is not about ready to take this insult lying down. You don't turn, you're back on a king. I learned that from the Lion King. Remember when Scar turns around for Mufasa and Mufasa goes, Don't you turn your back on me! And then Scar's like, Oh no, Mufasa, it is you who shouldn't turn your back on me. Remember that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he turns his back. The Commodus isn't about to take this insult lying down. He orders the Spaniard to remove his helmet and tell him your name. And the former general's like, All right, you little twerp, that what you really want? He removes his helmet and says... <laughs> My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And Commodus looks like he pooped himself a little bit, and he realized... And he should have. <laughs> I mean, he does. He looked like he had a little turtle fall in his underpants. And he... <laughs> and he because he realizes... Uh, uh, or, but he, I'm sorry. So Commodus looks like he pooped himself a little bit and realizes almost instantly that he holds Maximus's life in his hands. He wanted this guy dead. For some reason, he's not dead. But now he can take care of it. All it's going to take is one thumbs down, and all of his guards are going to come in and stab our Maximus to death. But he can't because the crowd likes Maximus now. Because Maximus was awesome. They want him to live. And Commodus who is trying to remove all semblance of power from the people by dismantling the Senate, cannot risk turning popular opinion against himself. But that night, Commodus does throw another hissy fit and complains to his sister that his men lied to him and said that Maximus died in Germania. Further, Commodus is upset that he cannot simply assassinate Maximus because then the people would rebel against him. This is the reason why Maximus isn't worried about an assassin coming in. Because he can't just, or Commodus can't just secretly take care of Maximus. As, as Juba points out, uh, they need to kill Maximus's name before he can die. He can't turn Maximus into a martyr. He can't just secretly kill Maximus. The only way he can get rid of Maximus is by having Maximus die in the arena or do something to turn the people against them. Which, by the way, is another great scene. Uh, after this incident with Commodus, Maximus is called to get his food at the gladiator school where him and all the gladiators hang out. Uh, you know, just pulling pranks, having fun. Typical gladiator school <laughs> stuff. And, uh, Shooting pool. <laughs> chasing skirt. Um, <laughs> which takes on a completely different meaning and... and uh, second century Rome, because they all wore skirts. Um, <laughs> but Zach digresses. <laughs> but he's called to get his food, and they're all looking at it thinking that it might be poisonous. And then Hagen just reaches over with his giant Hagen spoon and scoops up a big thing, and he takes a bite, and then he's like, pretended to choke. Then he just starts laughing. It's great. Great com camaraderie between these guys. <laughs> so Commodus puts a plan into motion. At the next game, he calls a ringer out of retirement, the only undefeated champion in Roman history, the legendary Tigris of Gaul. Uh, so Tigris enters the arena on the back of a just pimped out chariot, and he's gleaming in silver armor. He's got this awesome armor helmet that makes it look like he's got a face, and it's just like just a little, little slit cut out for him to breathe out of his mouth. 
which is important later, and uh, two eye holes. He's looking real scary, like. But he's coming out. Everybody loves Tigress. Tigress was the best. He's like the Tom Brady of gladiators. Everybody's cheering. Tigress is awesome. And uh, Tigress salutes Commodus the way that all good gladiators should, which Maximus again, and obviously slights the Caesar by not acknowledging the Emperor, and both fighters face each other. Maximus is quickly distracted when several teams of men enter the arena, and each team picks up a chain from the sand. Tigress takes advantage of the Spaniard's distraction, and like a little punk, just kicks some sand into Maximus' face, and then attacks, knocking our hero to the ground. And when Maximus falls, whoosh, a trap door's opened up, and what comes out of there? Huge Bengal tiger. Just tigers everywhere. Just pounces at the fighting gladiators. While battling the ferocious tigress, Maximus also has the challenge of escaping the sharp claws of a jungle cat during this fight. And then soon, because if you got one tiger, the only thing better than that is, is two more tigers. They come in, so now we got three tigers up in this piece. All of them taking swipes on Maximus's gluteus Maximus. <laughs> and the chain-holding teams are struggling to keep the tigers under control. That's what they're holding on to, basically big old leashes. And as the fight continues, Maximus manages to disarm Tigress and is about to deliver a killing blow. And you're like, wow, well, this is a short fight scene, but I guess, you know, if it doesn't take long, it doesn't take long. And then, boom, fourth tiger! Do you think that fourth tiger's gonna come? He comes out of nowhere, just rawr, right on the back. And he just pounces at Maximus, but Maximus, he didn't skip leg day and he didn't skip reflex training either, because he turns around with lightning speed and just skewers that tiger as it leaps towards him. And then, man and beast go to the ground. And the injured tiger's on top of the Spaniard as Maximus just is not playing around. He just, just stabs that thing to death. Just 57 stabs, just dead, boom. Yeah, ow. <laughs> and then Tigris, again, because he's a little punk, takes advantage and moves to kill Maximus as he's pinned under the tiger's body. But Maximus ain't having it. The former general manages to pick up Tigris's discarded axe and drives the blade deep into the foot of the undefeated champion, which causes him to bend over in pain, and you realize that Maximus had been putting a hurtin' on old Tigris before this happened, because his helmet was just filled with blood, and when he bends over, it all comes pouring out of his little mouth hole that he had to breathe. Gushing. And he manages to get out from underneath the tiger, and he stands, and he shoves Tigris to the ground. He's about to take his life, and the crowd wants it. They're cheering, kill, kill, kill. And Commodus stands up in his box, annoyed that his plan didn't work, but he's going to give the people what they want. And he gives a thumbs down, essentially ordering Maximus to kill Tigris. Instead, Maximus defies the Emperor again by throwing down his weapon and turning to leave. Before he can exit, the Emperor's guards come into the arena, followed by Commodus. And the crybaby Emperor complains, What am I going to do with you? You simply won't die. Are we so different, you and I? You take a life when you have to, as do I. Maximus stares at him and says the most awesome thing ever. He's like, I only have one life left to take, and then it's just done. Then Commodus calls his bluff. He's like, all right, Maxi, then take it now. Maximus like, nah, not yet. He turns to walk away, not waiting, wanting to waste his time with this. But the Emperor's not done. And what is... 
Communists do. As Maximus walks away, they tell me your son. That was enough to get Maximus's attention as he turns around. Squealed like a little girl when they nailed him to the cross. And Maximus, showing that he's a bigger man than me, restrains himself. <laughs> and just says, like a baller, he's just like, the time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end, Highness. And he leaves the Colosseum. Talk about a scene. Yeah. How do you restrain yourself on that normal, ordinary human man would not do it? And Maximus isn't normal. He's Maximus. Maybe. He's Maximus Darius Rucker Meridius or whatever he said. Maybe Darius Rucker Meridius. <laughs> Back in his palace later that day, Commodus is still whining that Maximus is alive and that the people love the Spaniard more than him. But a brown-nosing senator advises that Commodus just lay in wait for the right moment to kill the emperor's enemies, namely Maximus and the other members of the Senate. Now, Commodus is not a dumb man. He's a lot of things, but he's not dumb. And he can see that the Senate is plotting against him. So he agrees to put tails on the senator or on the senators and just wait for everything to fall into place where he can take care of his enemies. Meanwhile, Maximus's loyal servant Cicero, who we last saw in Germania, found the former general and tells Maximus that the men he used to lead are close by, and if they saw that Maximus was alive, they're still loyal to him, and they will fight for him. So Maximus sends Cicero to tell Lucilla to arrange a meeting with one of the good senators, good old Gracchus. At a late-night meeting, Gracchus is convinced to buy Maximus's freedom. Maximus will then ride to his former army and lead his 5,000 troops into Rome to liberate them from Commodus. Then Maximus will hand control the Roman Empire back to the Senate and the people, fulfilling Emperor Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius's dying wish. Of course, Commodus, who ordered the senators to be tailed, hears of the plot. He also hears that his sister played a part in it. Crybaby Commodus has Gracchus arrested. And Lucilla, acting quickly and bravely, moves to give Maximus an opportunity to salvage the plan. She arranges for Proximo, Maximus's trainer and owner, to free the gladiator and lead him to a gate that leads outside the city around midnight. At the gate, Maximus's servant Cicero will be waiting for him with horses to take the former general to his man. As Lucilla tells Maximus this, they share a tender moment as he's amazed by all that she's done for him. And Lucilla then leaves and hopes to get back to the palace before Commodus notices her missing. Back at the palace, Commodus is appalled to see his nephew Lucius sparring with a toy sword, pretending to be Maximus, savior of Rome. When Lucilla finally makes it back, she is terrified when she notices Lucius sitting on her brother's lap. As Commodus is telling the boys stories of past emperors who had been betrayed by their close relatives. And when don't, don't, oh. And when the emperor notices his sister, Commodus makes a terrifying promise to Lucilla's beloved son. 
If you're very good tomorrow, I'll tell you the story of Emperor Claudius. He was betrayed by those closest to him, by his own blood. They whispered in dark corners and went out late at night and conspired and conspired. But the Emperor knew that they were up to something. He knew they were busy little bees. And one night, he sat down with one of them, and he looked at her, and he said, Tell me what you have been doing, busy little bee, or I shall strike down those dearest to you. I shall watch as I bathe in their blood. The emperor was heartbroken. This little bee had wounded him more deeply than anyone had ever done. And what do you think happened then, little Lucius? The bee told him everything. So it's a little on the nose, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) the emperor gets his point across, and it's implied that Lucilla tells Commodus the plan, uh, Maximus's plan, to ensure her son's safety. That night, Proximo is leading Maximus to the back entrance of his gladiator's school as Roman guards approach Proximo's gate. Hagen, Juba, and the other gladiators volunteer to fight the Roman guards to buy Maximus some time. As Maximus makes his escape, the gladiators fight bravely, but Hagen is still killed, and Proximo is then murdered in his room. Maximus makes his way through a secret tunnel that leads outside the city walls. On the way there, he finds that his armor and sword had been laid out for him. Outside the walls, he sees a lone rider sitting atop a horse, and Maximus apparently has a special Maximus whistle, because Cicero knows his master's whistle and calls out his name, which startles the horse and the animal bolts, leaving Cicero to hang by a rope that had been placed around his neck. Maximus runs to his faithful servant and lifts him up, and Cicero whispers his last words, I'm sorry, as a Roman guard shoots an arrow and kills the servant. Maximus is quickly surrounded by Roman guards and taken into custody. Back at the palace, Commodus is sitting with his terrified sister when he is told that the plot was broken up. He then turns to his sister and lays out his incestuous desires. And he says, And what of my nephew? And what of his mother? Shall they share her lover's fate, or should I be merciful? Commodus the Merciful. Lucius will stay with me now, and if his mother so much as looks at me in a manner that displeases me, he will die. If she decides to be noble and take her own life, he will die. And as for you... He says, looking at his sister, You will love me (laughs) as I have loved you. You will provide me an heir of pure blood so that Commodus and his progeny will rule for a thousand years. Am I not merciful? He says as he goes in close and tries to kiss his sister. But Lucilla turns away. And Commodus grabs her jaw and turns her face towards him, screaming, Am I not miserable? (laughs) (laughs) I hope no one else is in the building. (laughs) What did he say without yelling it? Because I couldn't understand words you said. He said, Am I not merciful? 
Am I not merciful? As tears no. slowly come down his sister's face. So, yeah. Huh. I mean, this is, this is par for the course for a Roman emperor. Right. I mean, I thought this was pretty tame. The next day, the Colosseum is packed with people cha- or chanting Maximus' name as the gladiator is chained in a cell below the killing floor. Commodus goes in to taunt his captive and says that he wants to end this once and for all. And to Maximus's disbelief, the emperor agrees to fight the gladiator in front of the crowd. Of course, Commodus isn't going to face off against Maximus in a fair fight. So before he leaves, he stabs the Spaniard in the back and orders Maximus to be armored so the wound would be concealed. A trap door is raised into the floor of the Colosseum, carrying Commodus and Maximus into the arena. They are lifted into a circle of Roman guards. Maximus, clearly in pain, stumbles and bends over to pick his sword. However... When the fight began, the rage he feels against this man who cost him the life of those that he loved overpowers any pain that he is feeling as he unleashes guttural roars as he attacks Commodus. During the fight, Commodus does manage to cut Maximus's leg, but the Spaniard disarms the emperor with a slash to Commodus's arm. And it is at this point that Maximus begins to die, drifting into the afterlife. And he drops his sword as Commodus asks the guards to give him another weapon to replace the one he dropped. The guards refuse and shield their or unsheath their weapons as Commodus reaches for a hidden dagger. This sudden movement snaps Maximus back into consciousness. And unarmed but for his strength and determination battles Commodus, slowly but deliberately turning Commodus's knife against the Caesar. Commodus tries relentlessly to fight Maximus off, but Maximus is stronger, and he slowly plunges the knife into Commodus's throat, further and further, until it can't go any further, and Commodus falls to the ground fight over again Maximus begins to drift as he can see himself reaching out a bloody hand to push open the gate that leads to his home he's finally achieving peace as Maximus enters the afterlife again one of the guards calls out his name bringing him back into reality and Maximus orders his fellow gladiators to be free Senator Gracchus to be reinstated and power handed over to the people of Rome Through this order, Maximus fulfills the wishes of Marcus Dumbledore Aurelius. And Maximus stands unsteady as the vision of the wheat field once again comes before him. He sees his wife and son waiting for him. In the Colosseum, he falls hard to the ground as Lucilla runs into the arena, dropping to her knees and calling his name. Maximus gazes up and tells her that Lucius is safe. Lucilla looks at him with love, but understanding responds, 
go to them. With her permission and her blessing, Maximus breathes his last. Lucilla closes his eyes, and his face, once twisted in anger and hatred, is at peace as he leaves this world. Lucilla then says, you are going home, as tears fall from her eyes. She then stands up and turns to Senator Gracchus in the crowd and says, is Rome worth one good man's life? We believed it once. Make us believe it again. He was a soldier of Rome. Honor him. Gracchus then says, who will help me carry him? And many gather around to lift Maximus and carry him from the arena as Commodus's body lay alone in the sand. <laughs> Later, we see Juba digging in the sand on the floor of the Colosseum, <laughs> the place where Maximus died. He unfolds a small leather pouch that contained Maximus's only earthly possessions, two small figurines, that Maximus carried of his wife and his son. And Juba gently places them in their resting place. As he whispers, now we are free. I will see you again, not yet, not yet. The end. I'll be back, I gotta go take my depression medicine. <laughs> what a movie. Let's go into our rating. Here at Rotten or Righteous, we, of course, use the SEP scale, also known as patent pending, the Stinky Snake Scale, where we have four different categories worth 25 points each. We add those up, average them together, and that is the final letter grade of the movie we watched. The first category that we're going to look at is the S in our SEP scale, and that is scriptural accuracy. Now, I know this will be difficult, so let me go first. I'm going to give it a 25, because they didn't mess up a single thing that the Bible says in this entire movie. I was I was really wondering how we're going to do that. Do we give it a zero because there's no scripture, or do we give it 25 because there's no scripture? I'm giving it 25 because it doesn't pretend to be. It, it, it shares uh, Roman, uh, the myth of Roman gods. They don't pretend to understand what the Bible says, like so many movies that we watch that are just terrible. It doesn't mess it up. I'm giving it a 25. You've answered my question. I'll give it a 25 too. I didn't know what the proper procedure was to to say, do we, do we, you know, how do we do that if there's none? But it is interesting, the point that you brought up though, Zach, it would have been during the biblical times, early, early um, uh, biblical times of the, of the early New Testament and, uh, it's fascinating again to to think about how fights and wars would have come about during that period of time. Yeah, I'll give it twenty five. You know, with a sword and a shield, do you think you could beat it? No, like, honestly, no, I could not. No. <laughs> you don't think so? No, I would struggle to beat a tiger with a high powered rifle in my right hand <laughs> and a. Pistol in my left. I mean, Scott can barely beat a stuffed tiger without being winded. I mean, all you need is, like, one good slice or stab. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But the odds of you getting that one good slice or stab before they get in one good big bite is uh, slim to none. 
don't know. The next category that we deal with on the SEP scale is entertainment value. Were you entertained by this movie? 2023. 20, I was thoroughly entertained by this. I took a couple points off just because it, it made me weep a little on the inside. But it was it was good. Okay, you really had a problem with the ending. Oh, I did. I hated it. Man, I hate movies where the hero dies at the end. Those are the best it's movies. Yeah, but he doesn't have he doesn't have anything to live for anymore. Like he, yeah. he needs to go to his family. Yeah, that's all he wants to do is go killed. home. He doesn't. I he mean, doesn't, when who he doesn't it? lose in the end, he wins. He does what Marcus Aurelius wants him to. He v- avenges his family, and now he gets to go rest and be with his kid. He needed to be there for Lucilla. Lucilla didn't need him. Lucilla's the only pretty girl in this entire movie. She's gonna be fine. She got Gracchus. She's actually not going to be fine. She doesn't need Maximus, though, because she actually died when she was 33. Commodus killed her. See? She's fine. She's dead. She's fine. There's no problem. That's going to... That, Commodus that's, got strangled in the bathroom. That's going to be real awkward when Maximus shows up in the afterlife and sees Lucilla there in his kitchen and just uh, yeah. and just his wife, like, cross arm, just staring at him, going, who's this royal harlot? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Titanic, when Jack died at the end, I was furious. What was it? Armageddon, where was it Bruce Willis's character that died up with the meteor? Uh, I was, man, how could you kill him? I just don't understand how you, of all people, don't like stories where people sacrifice their own personal well-being for the greater good. <sighs> they need to I mean, sacrifice I don't know if I can... Let me their... think of this other uh, great account where this happens, where somebody dies for oh, everyone. <laughs> huh. Scott, can you help me with this yeah, what I'm talking about? Maximus Maximus didn't die for everyone. Yes, he, he, didn't yes, die for he did. He didn't die for you. Okay, no, but... He didn't die for me. He did die, and I'm not talking about real Maximus. I don't want to hear that the real Maximus died by being trampled by a, a calf after it was being born at the fair. I'm just talking about movie Maximus. Okay. Movie Maximus died. That's great audio, Zach. Oh, yeah. Why don't you keep crinkling plastic while you're talking? <laughs> hey, I hear what you're saying. It was a great cause. He's he he beat he beat the Commodores in the end. He I mean this movie set the, was set the Roman Empire in state. He's going home to his wife. I hated it. Don't die at the end. What's the, so that he can stay alive and live a lonely life on his burned down farm? Yes, with Lucilla. No, Lucilla's dead at thirty-one. No, not movie Lucilla. She's weeping in the arena. That's actually the name of my um, emo band. I think about the book, one of my favorite books, when I read it over and over again growing up. Where the red fern grows. What do you think of that book? Oh, it's a great book, but. Shit. Well, on a scale of 21, 25, what would you give it? 23. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, the Armage- hey. Armageddon? 23. Titanic? 23. Green Mile. 23. You would give Green Mile 23. <laughs> Even though he wants to die at the end? <laughs> he just does what hey, just Paul said to- cool. Oh, turn off the lights on me. Hey, I take it you're giving it to 25. Is that right? I'm not 100% sure yet. Luke. Okay. 
Are you not entertained? Uh, no, stop, because I wanted to do that. I, I wanted to do a bit! Luke, are you not entertained? Go ahead. That was it. That was it. <laughs> um, yes, I, I was entertained. I love this movie. Um, I, I, I'm going to give it a 22, just because I didn't uh, enjoy the violence as much as I used to. And he died at the end! I didn't care that he died at the end. <laughs> Lucilla, she doesn't need him. She's she can marry some other pompous. <sighs> she could have married her brother if she'd have played her cards right. <laughs> Bureaucrat. <laughs> twenty-two. I I'm gonna give it a twenty-four because it's not Braveheart. You would rank Braveheart over mm-hmm. this? I would. Um, no, I'm. <sighs> Why is it so hard? I don't know. Is it a, the question is is it a perfectly entertaining movie? Am I captivated from the moment it starts to the moment it ends? There's no slow points and the slow points that are in here are done beautifully. There's never been a time a in the several times I've watched Gladiator that I got bored and said I don't want to watch it anymore. Okay, 25. It's perfect. It's a perfectly entertaining movie. Ooh. Got to change that score now. Now we go on to parental control. Would you let your grandma watch this? I would. I would give it a. Uh, hmm. Let's see. There is like one bad word in it, I suppose. There's two bad words. Two bad words. Uh, I'll give it an eighteen point for the two bad words. Two points for the bad words, and then uh, just just violence, not. Uh, not for everybody. But I, other than that, um, I guess you could say Commodus is a little unparentally controlled. He could have used his father to straighten him out on a few things, um, like who to marry he does have, and who uh, to hit on. He does bring up some, some, some mature themes, we could call it. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, let me do, I think I'm going to stick with my, hmm. you know, but, you know, you know, those, they never materialize and they are historical. It's not just like weird. Um, it's not just like perverted for the sake of being perverted. Mm-hmm. Like it, there is a, I mean, that was, that, that was pretty normal. Not glo- and not only that, but it's not like he comes off looking good when it comes to his perversion. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like they're like, Hey, look at this guy. He's got a hot sister, right? Bet you wish they could date. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the thing about the movie too is you can't say there's inaccuracies in in there. I mean, um, again, I'll go back to say even with that violence, maybe probably he's not portrayed as bad as it really was. And, and Luke's absolutely correct on the on the family love affairs. Well, I'm, I'm looking back at it, and is there any is there a scene in there that makes me? really cringe to the point where I haven't seen something like that on like the show Vikings or Walking Dead no I mean I've seen I think this movie in a very entertaining way balances you know the question is does it glorify violence no it doesn't it paints violence does it make it look cool sure but it does paint it in a bad light it's never like hey look how fun it would be to be a gladiator (laughs) you know I mean, guys are, like, mm-hmm. peeing themselves and having a bad time. And, uh... 
it's one of the yeah i agree i think that the violence is historically justified and even like the weirdo incest is I, people forget that even in the the monarchs of Europe, right that wasn't unusual until maybe a hundred years ago well that's why maybe, maybe 150 at the most was it philip over in philip over in spain or france he was so messed up <laughs> because of inbreeding that he couldn't shut his mouth yeah. because his jaw was so messed wow. up. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was going on until very recently. Not only that, but, I mean, even today, they don't like to talk about it, but the Amish, there's a lot of inbreeding going on with the Amish. Even less than, uh, less than 200 years ago, back in the late 1800s, people were still marrying their first cousins, and it was not looked upon like anything. Scott? I gave it a 15. Um, same reasons. I mean, it's, it's very graphic, but, you know, this is the thing that struggles with me because on some other movies, I would have gone, yeah, this, it would have gotten an extremely low score. But I think because of the historical accuracy of what's going on there, if you know that going into it and realizing what you're going to see, then it's not, it's not glorified. It's not just for the sake of having it. It paints a picture of how things were, you know, back in the second century. Uh, so I gave I gave it a fifteen. I did take some points off for it with uh, some of the creepiness and there. Like I said, there is a, a good bit of just the uh, the violence and blood. But all right, I, I looked at this because this is a, an unusual movie where I can think back to my childhood when I first saw this movie. I was not allowed to watch a lot of stuff, um, but there were a few movies like. Patriot and Braveheart as long as my dad was there to fast forward through the one scene and this movie that I was allowed to watch as a tween you know it was like a mm -hmm. special little treat because it's it, it's the the cussing is minimal I mean so much so that Scott didn't even notice it because I'm thinking about this when I was a kid I wasn't picking up on the incest you know I wasn't there, I was just watching a fun movie. Cool movie. That guy's fighting a tiger. It's great. And I, I'll watch it with my son before he's 18 or 17 or whenever you could legally go see this movie. Along with Patriot and along with Braveheart. I'll take five points off because of the swearing. There is blood. Uh, but it's... It's not that bad. I mean, it's pretty bad. But it's... You know, I, I, I wouldn't show this to an old lady who, who gets squeamish at, uh, you know, the Hallmark movies if someone gets a paper cut. But, you know. It's great. The, the guy missing his head was hardly noticeable. <laughs> no, I'm going to give it a 20. I'll give it a 20. Which leads us to our final point. Should you watch? Is there some merit to spending two hours watching this movie? Scott. Yes, there is. And uh, I struggled with this category also because I think you've got to have a special audience for this. You can't just say to everybody, hey, go watch this movie. Um, but I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it an 18 on uh, uh, referring this to somebody. And I only say that because not everybody would want to watch this or be people that would be squeamish. Uh, but I think if you're interested in some. Um, some accurate depiction of how things used to be that this would be the place to go 
be the place to look at. So say 18. Luke, please grace us with your opinion. I will. Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm going to give it a 20 and uh, largely for the same reasons Scott gave it a 20. I don't know that I have too much more to add. Historically, it gives you a picture of that time period and the realities of kind of the stuff that went on under some of these emperors. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, no, not much biblical value if that's what we're talking about. But uh, it has do you feel like you play. wasted a couple it's hours? Just a, it's a good movie. No, I don't either, and I'll tell you why. One of the hardest things to do as you go through and study the Bible and stuff is put yourself in the mindset of those that lived so long ago. And this movie right here gives you great historical context of the world that was just uh, really just a few, about a hundred years after the close of the Bible, but there's not like a huge technological jump between the first century and the second century. And it does give you a glimpse of how great Rome was, even when Rome is about to head into its decline. And uh, because I want to, and I and I can, I'm going to give this 25. You should watch it if you want to. If you don't, don't watch it. But it's a great movie. It's very good. So, in the end, Scott gave it an 81, which is an A-. minus. Luke gave it an 85, which is an A. And I gave it a 95, which is an A+. And altogether, that gives it an 87% approval rating, which, according to our grading scale, is a A. And, of course, here we use Carleton University's grading scale. Go Ravens. Okay. Next week... We're going to watch a movie that has caused me severe psychological damage that I still carry from my childhood. Of course, I'm talking about the made-for-TV movie Toothless, starring Christy Alley, which aired Sunday, October 5th, 1997, on The Wonderful World of Disney. The movie, which can be watched on or watched for free on YouTube, follows a dentist cast into limbo after her death in a bicycle accident and is given the assignment to act as the Tooth Fairy as her action to be admitted into heaven. Are you being serious right now? We're going to watch Toothless? Yes, I am. I, I thought you were going to say Gladiator. I'm sorry, man. Did you not tell me that the Ooh. stupidest movies make the best <laughs> shows? Yep. It's going to be a good one next week. And the trailer's only 30 seconds long. From Walt Disney Home Video, some people go straight to heaven. No, they don't. Others need more time to earn their wings. You're giving a second chance. I'm the Tooth Fairy. Black and wig, black and wig. Kirstie Alley. Is the closure cover stopping in your next lesson? A modern day fairy tale with bite. Toothless, available to own on video spring 1998. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Remember to say your prayers and obey your parents. Also, remember, you can email us at, or email us at rottenerrighteous at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rottenerrighteous. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us five stars. For Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zacchaeus Gylorakis. I'm Juba Cornelius. I'm Lucas Aurelius. All right, but before we go, my last job I had, a secular job, I walked in, and apparently I had to work the day before, but I completely forgot about it. And uh, he comes up to me, and he goes, hey, you missed work yesterday. I said, no, not particularly.
<laughs> That's what we get when we ask our members. Good church night, service. everybody. <laughs> you missed you missed service last week. No, no, not, no, really. not really. I didn't. Thanks, Scott. Instead of just saying random things, um, can you just do the sound effects for all these battle scenes I have to describe? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here, here's your here's your sword scene. Quick, 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 whack, 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 quick, 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 <laughs> I hope I don't die to that sound. I hope that's not the sound that takes me down in the end. <laughs> oh my gosh. Shrink, shrink, dead. You know, I just realized that I imagine that's just what hell is now. Yes, eternal darkness, separation from God, but the only noise you hear is weak, weak, whack, weak, whack, weak, 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 whack. Stoink. With no explanation, just. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Oh man, <laughs> you're so dumb. It's <laughs> <laughs> what makes it successful. Yep, that in a very loose definition of the word success. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever we need to call it. I'm, we should review it. Not the not the live action one, the cartoon. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one's terrible. Just can't wait for my dad to die. That's what he's singing about. That's Commodus' song. Everybody smother your dad. Everyone smother your dad. Every idle word. <laughs> that was funny. That wasn't idle. That was funny. Yeah.